down at the bottom of the garden, amongst the birds and the bees, <laughs> there were some pretty little people, and they called the Paddington Bees, the Paddington Wow, welcome everyone. What made you do that, Emma? <laughs> you know, hashtag live playfully. Hello everyone, welcome to the People Who Play podcast. It's me, Emma, and I'm here with... Producer Husband. Hi Ben, how are you? I am no name. Why did you just call my name? Oh, sorry. I'm Jason Bourne, I'm <laughs> off the grid. Now people find me. You're just a hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Now we're a little bit late to start today because we had to let the washing machine finish its spin cycle. Yes, we've got... We are backed up. We It was a very exciting suburbia roulette because we, we have a napping child upstairs mm-hmm. whilst also trying to wait for the washing machine to finish. You know, which one? Spin cycle. I'll tell you what really grinds my gears about washing machines. Sometimes... I know this isn't ethical, but I just want to wash like a few things because I'm in a rush. But if you only put a few items in there, it's not enough weight and it won't do a spin cycle. Oh, what and about it, if you... it comes out soggy, like yeah. soaking wet. Yeah. What about if you use the 15 minute setting? Well, then it won't do a spin cycle to the maximum revs. Do you think, do you think this is going to get us five stars? Do you think this is how we well, look, break through our podcast I, career? No joke, I almost just put some weights in there just to weigh it down. <laughs> Let me do a spin. I actually also have a uh, washing-related beef at the moment. What is I it? Me? Feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm being constantly attacked by tumble dryer fluff. Like, right, yeah. it, like, where's it all coming from? Well, put it out on the line. Don't what? use the tumble dryer. Well, I'm not using it at the moment. Just it's... use it for pants uh, and socks. But where's all the fluff coming from? I feel like it, we didn't have this much fluff a year ago. Mm. I, I Honestly, I couldn't tell you. Oh, another thing that you're rubbish it. at. Another thing that you're rubbish <laughs> at. Positive reinforcement, Emma. Now, another thing that you're um, not good at is um, getting rid of the... that. Tumble dry fills up with water. You've got to empty that. Yeah, can I shock you? Floods all over the place. I only learned about that last year. Gee, that's because I do it on the regular. I do it daily. And when I learned about it, I was like, this makes so much sense because, of course, yeah, you, where does the water you go? put things in wet and they come out dry. Yeah, it's not plumbed in. No. Right, go. moving on. <laughs> um, I've invented a new drink. Oh, what is it? Well, I get up and because I feel like I need to eat more protein because I'm a veggie. I don't know why, but I'm trying to do this like intuitive eating. God, oh, no. why is everything to have to have a oh, name? Oh, I know. It's cringe. Um, anyway, so I thought I need to eat more protein. So I noticed that I had a protein shake in the cupboard, like a powder thing. Oh, what? From your bodybuilding <laughs> When you were like powerlifting, and I so so I used some of that with two shots of coffee, a massive ice cube, and then oat milk, and I WWE wrestler. (laughs) I like to start the day um, with a WWE coffee shake before you before you get into the ring. Listen, Emma, um, you know protein shakes. Uh, you don't want to be having a protein shake unless you're pumping iron. No, that's not true. Because I'm not eating it in food, so I'll just have it in a drink. Yeah, I know, but do you know how much is in that drink? No. It's like obscene. I don't know how much. It will go straight to your face. I'm so full. It will go straight to your face. <laughs> 
you'll blow up. Oh no, when I go all puffy. Yeah, you don't need shit. You don't need supplements. Honestly. Should I just have an egg? Uh, yeah. Yeah, oh okay. god, do you remember when I was getting rid of the yolk and just eating um, egg whites? That was so weird. Ben... That, that was in my um, bodybuilding days. <laughs> ben has like a whole history of... I'm very good at sticking to things. You are the most disciplined person. That I, I would say to the mm. point where it bothers me. It yeah, bothers no. me how disciplined you are. I do bother you. That's, I've learned that now. You just have to put up with me. <laughs> but it's because I'm jealous of your discipline. Yeah, you're very jealous of me. You do go a little bit too far with it sometimes, though, like the time when no, you no. only ate a tin of tuna for lunch for like a year. But it's none of your business. So much magnesium in you. <laughs> no, People, not magnesium, mercury. When someone is disciplined and sticks to something, it really grinds other people's gears. Mm, but it's also inspiring. Good. Be inspired by me. Now, your latest thing that you are being very uh, disciplined about. on oh. is your splits challenge. Yep, splits. Ben has set himself a challenge to learn how to do the splits in a year. Yeah, I think it's called middle splits, which is, I think, the hardest one. Uh, God, you just gave your lips a real good <laughs> lick and it's put me off my thought. What are you doing? Are you hungry? <laughs> Is that you the know. protein? You've got a bit of protein powder 11 on your years lips. of marriage, got to spice it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I'm doing the splits. Um, what day am I on? 170? That's obscene. When I say that, that is a bit weird. You have uploaded an Instagram video every single day. You haven't missed it. No, even when I was like really ill. That was gross. You were just like, Ugh. I know, it is a pain though, because... It's not just uploading a two-minute video. Before you do a splits attempt, you have to stretch before you do it, mm. which takes like half an hour. So to do the whole thing every day, I think, takes about 45 minutes. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when you, as soon as you get to sort of six o'clock, you're like, oh, God, I haven't done it. And then it can be a bit stressful. Yeah, you, and, you, and then you always do it in like the busiest time. Yeah, what happens if house? I don't do it? You, yeah, you're really into streaks, like the time when you got into mindfulness and yeah, you couldn't break your... Because it was stressing you out yeah. too much. <laughs> no, I got into um, Headspace, yeah. but then they it's the gamification of the app that bothered me when they were like rewarding you for streaks yeah. and things, and it was stressing me out. I was like, yeah. you can miss a Headspace and yeah. be okay. Um, yeah, so i tell you one thing that's grinding my gears this week, Father's Day. Oh, it's coming up. Yeah, Sunday. it's coming up. And I'm just being bombarded with all of this stuff in like supermarkets. They have these like pop-up displays. Mm. And it's as if, like, who do they think a dad is or what a dad is in 2021? They're still doing this like 1960s, like, oh, I'm in the tool shed. I'm obsessed with my shed. And I, all I do, all beer. And all power tools. Like the dad from Peppa Pig. Yes. Why Um, is being a dad a joke, Ems? You haven't even got a shed. No, I I cannot stand it. And then the kids sometimes like to listen to Radio 1 on the way to school. And they were doing this whole thing and people were phoning in and talking about their dads. And I was like, who are these people? It's like, oh, yeah, he's in the cars and he won't stop. I don't know. It just bothers me. Yeah, it's very, very stereotyped and when you go to like that father's day gift section it's like beer something to do with cricket power tools yeah (laughs) like being lazy and sort of being just 
really not clever, like being dumb. Yeah, or being into like like jobs as presents, like tools. Like from a marketing point of view, it's like, oh yeah, dads are innately pissed off with their lot in life and just want to go in the shed. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. Or is it like that men are kind of seen in this sort of like worker role almost like quite disconnected so they're like tools jobs shed it's very sort of like unemotional um there's no flowers is there yeah but try getting away with that on mother's day jeez you walk into m&s and it's just a load of like ironing i better take back that car cleaning kit i bought you (laughs) emma you best you best you love cleaning the car well, no, I like driving to somewhere where they clean it for me. That's That's, true. that's 2021 dadding. Um, yeah, I agree. Okay, and so who have you got on this damn show this week? Let me tell you about our guest. We have Amy Angeli, who is the founder of a company called The Adventure Project. And she hosts play shops, not workshops, play shops for adults. She um, is based in the US. She kind of does... Um, recess for grown-ups she calls it and one of the things that she teaches is laughter yoga oh okay because i'm more i'm gonna get into sobbing yoga <laughs> where you cry you have a really good cry that's actually happened to me I had a breakdown in a yoga class oh yeah i was there yeah <laughs> just the downward dogs put it all out <laughs> well exercises like that emma mm-hmm so Amy's going to talk to us about how she uses improv. She has a background in sort of comedy improv and how she uses that play um, tool as a way to unlock stuff from grown-ups and sort of free them. And it's quite incredible the effects that it has. And I will be signing us up for a laughter yoga session. Fantastic, Ems. Look forward to it. Okay, let's bring on the guest. Here we go. Hi, Amy. Welcome to People Who Play podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you, Emma. I'm very excited to chat to you. Um, Now, this is the People Who Play podcast, and you are someone who seems to be making a living from playing (laughs) and certainly have a lot of play in your life. Um, And I was super intrigued to learn about your business, The Adventure Project, um, and find out about some of the things that you're doing in that. So I can't wait to dive um, into all of that with you um, and learn all about it. Before we do, I always start off by asking our guests um, a bit about their play DNA, like their play personality. So we'd love to hear a bit about how you grew up and some of the things that you love to play as a child. You know, the thing that stands out the most to me from when I was a kid that I was madly in love with in maybe second or third grade, I played um, Little Red Riding Hood in a little tiny theater production at school. But it wasn't just any Red Riding Hood. I was the Spanish version of Red Riding Hood. So I was mm-hmm. Capricita Roja. And I think for me, that opened up a whole new world. Um, that was when I wanted to play around with uh, different cultures, different languages, and with different versions of myself, you know, and that's always, you know, you have that like one memory as a kid, that's like so powerful. Um, 
uh, around all these sort of like cloudy things. Mm. That's the, the power of play, isn't it? You can sort of unlock pieces of yourself and in those moments, it's like you get closer almost to, to, to who you are and what you're all about. Exactly. I love how that experience... Um, because that's the other thing with play. It's like, I, I could have assumed you'd have said, and I wanted to be an actress and go to Broadway. But actually, the experience was more about unlocking language and the discovery of, of culture by, um, by experiencing, I guess it was sort of um, performance play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and did that happen? Were you, did you go off on that path? Was that kind of spark um, nurtured in you? Yeah, I started studying Spanish in seventh grade. And um, I, I always say I'm still studying, I'm still studying Spanish. I'm still learning Spanish. And the, my first trip out of the country was to Mexico. I studied abroad in Spain. And I've had um, many uh, Latino boyfriends over the years. <laughs> <laughs> I've led uh, many play shops and uh, team building sessions in Spanish speaking countries. Your business, the Adventure Project, could you tell us a little bit about um, what the, the kind of the proposition of the businesses and the sort of services that you offer. Yes, I love that you said proposition. <laughs> so what I, what I am inviting people to do is to unlock their own adventure through play. So I, I liken the adventure project to sort of um, a gateway drug. So once um, either an individual or an organization has had this cooperative play experience what's possible next there was a in in the early days there was a gentleman who had recently retired and he came to an improv play shop that i was doing and he had never done improv and at the end he said thank you so much for doing this now i'm ready for my retirement journey uh because of this, because of this workshop, I'm, I'm able to dive into my bucket list. Oh, wow. So it's not so much about turning everyone into improv comedians. It's using the vehicle of play to unlock, well, anything it could be. Yeah, it's funny. Um, my improv students, uh, my local improv students, it's the minority that want to perform on stage. Mm. Most of them are coming for personal development reasons. And so I always talk about not everyone will have access to a theater stage, but everyone has a stage of life. And so how can we use these play tools that we're really already using in real life? We just don't realize mm. that we're using them. So how can we do a little brain training with these these play tools and um have a richer experience on the stage of life mm, i love that and the expression play tools is nice because something like comedy i think you could be put off from participating in that at any kind of level beyond like banter with your friends or whatever because you might think well I'm never going to go up on stage I'm not going to pursue a career in comedy or I'm not going to be good enough to stand up on a stage so like 
what's the point? And it's interesting with something like that because I think you might more be, you might not have that conversation about something like, I don't know, soccer or tennis because you think, well, it's exercise, it's fitness, that's why I'm doing it. But there's so many other like play tools, as you call them, play experiences that can do amazing things for us, but we don't necessarily pursue them because like we're not going to monetize them or kind of when we don't think we're good enough. And I love what you just said. And I'm going to think about that and and verbalize that moving forward. Uh, 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 your example about soccer or any other sport, you know, will do those things. And of course, we're not going to become professional soccer players, you know, well, maybe a couple of us are, but again, the minority, but we don't think twice about doing those sorts of activities. Mm. Whereas with with improv comedy, improv theater, you know, so many people will say to me, oh, well, I could never do that. I'm never going to do that. So I, I wouldn't ever take a class. It's almost like doing a disservice to yourself. I, I firmly believe that everyone should take an improv class in, um, in middle school, uh, junior high. And what do you call middle school on the other side of the pond? Yeah, so we have primary and secondary school. And I'm I'm excited about what you're about to say because I also have a kind of personal hypothesis around comedy in schools. But go on, continue what you're saying. So everyone should, in middle school, take an improv class. Why? Because the tenets of improv are the tenets of life. When we improvise to our fullest expression, what we're actually doing is being better versions of ourselves. What we're doing is learning how to successfully navigate uh, an ensemble, how to make someone else look brilliant, um, this whole concept of, of we before me, practicing active listening, saying, yes, I hear you, and here's what I'd like to add to that all these beautiful, rich life concepts that aren't taught in schools. Um, I mean, especially here in the US, <clears throat> because in the US, uh, it's very much about um, testing. This is what my fear is as time goes on and we continue to put the emphasis on testing and kids are also spending so much time on technology that marriage between testing and technology is setting us up for a future failure because we're not producing whole human beings. And by touching improv early on, you're attempting to play with the whole expression of self. Yeah, I love that. So how, how do you get people to do it? Because I'm going to guess that you have people, especially because I know you work with teams and businesses. I'm going to guess that you come across people that are like resistant and um, well, there's an element of letting go, isn't there? And I think a lot of adults and actually the age that you're talking about, like going into puberty in those adolescent years, it's hard to just be silly um, and it's hard to sort of let go. So what do you do um, with people to help loosen them up? The first misconception is that a person alone is going to have to stand in front of a room and do something on command. Yeah. 
improv is cooperative play and it doesn't exist as a silo. So a person has to be with at least one more person to be able to execute whatever it might be, a game, an exercise, anything. Um, and so that's always my first touch point is, you know, what, whatever age or population I'm working with, it's everyone's in it together. The, but the problem is we don't understand cooperative play, at least in the U.S. We don't because of, I, I hate to sound so uh, deep and dark, but because of, because of capitalism, because of politics, because of, of our drive to, to have more, do more, be more, mm. it's, we live in a very competitive society. Mm. And we understand play to be the sports version of play where yeah. someone wins and someone loses. Um, a quick, quick story for you. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had um, foot surgery and my best friend and his wife sent me a game in the mail to play while I was recovering. And I'll be damned if I can ever remember the name of this game. Uh, but it's a cooperative play game. And basically, um, no matter if you're playing with two people or 20 people, um, the goal is the same, to get off the island before you uh, drown <laughs> because there's a terrible storm. And I played that game with so many um, iterations of people, a tiny group, a larger group, men, women, children. And and I died every single time. <laughs> and my friend and his wife said, what is the matter with you? We always survive. And I said, it's not me. It's the people that I'm playing with don't understand cooperative play. And I remember this one night in particular, an improviser came over with her husband. And her husband was like, like you could see the wheels turning he was getting so stressed out and i finally said let's have just a quick time out to just regroup so you understand that whatever move you make next affects all of us not just mm. you we're in it together mm. and he couldn't wrap his head around it you know i'm getting off the island and i said yes and if you do then we all are as well and it was such a um, silly moment, but at the same time, also such a pivotal one, because that's how we live. Um, there's a clear difference between independence and interdependence. Last summer, I was teaching a critical thinking class at a technical school, and I was bringing improv into their classroom. <clears throat> I gave them a game. I divided the class in half and I said, half of you are independent and the other half of you are interdependent. The, um, the shop at the corner has just been robbed. It's 2 a.m. What do you do? Talk from the lens of independence, talk from the lens of interdependence. So, you know, it went, as you can imagine, independent, you know, they took it on themselves um, in, in interdependence. You know they rallied the, the the neighborhood and you know came together as a community and, and everything but um during the debrief of the game 
they said, well, in real life, we would all be independent because interdependence is really um, about being care bears. You know, we have to we have to take care of ourselves. We 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 can't, you know, depend on others. And it's like that 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 mentality is is basically the uh, society is dead at that point. Cooperative play brings that back. So in answer to your question, I really drive home the point that we're all doing this together. Because we all uh, struggle and need help with cooperative play, it might be helpful if you could explain like what are the principles of what makes something cooperative play? Ah, perfect. So with cooperative play, uh, there's no there's no scorekeeping. There's no one team wins and one team loses. You know, everybody's a team together. Everybody's an ensemble together. And they're playing together to make each other look good. They're playing together to bring out the best versions of themselves. Through that, they're accomplishing more together than they would be doing individually. Yeah. You know, so if you bring if you bring that concept into the workplace, it's pretty amazing because you see, you know, a frontline employee and a manager doing these activities without any titles. You know, all of a sudden status is removed and everybody is the same. Yeah. That's not quite how it is, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's because when you watch young children playing socially, let's say they're trying to make a dam at the at the beach, they're trying to get the water come in and you'll just sort of see them like another one will come in, another one will come in. And they do this quite naturally, actually. It's, it's not like necessarily someone is like, okay, right, you're going to have the bucket roll <laughs> and you're going to have this roll. Like it just kind of, it kind of happens through play. Um, I literally just saw what you're talking about a few weeks ago i i took my friend's granddaughter out she is 12 we went to the beach she doesn't live here so she was visiting so it's not like you know she's a group of friends here and we sat down near um somebody who had kids and she literally just walked up to them with her toys and then before you knew it there was another kid there were half dozen kids rolling around in the sand playing together I almost felt bad being so fascinated by it, but that is not how we operate after a certain age. Mm. And we still can, but we choose Mm. not to. (laughs) Mm. And do you think stopping playing, which most people do, um, particularly sort of cooperative play like you're talking about, um, do you think that makes it harder for us to then um, behave in the kind of intradependent way in places like the workplace. Yeah, I feel like we're silos and not just at work, but in life in general. Um, I think about how we used to be a porch society and we used to spend time in the front of our homes. And so you would see everybody come by And so you would sort of get a sense of the neighborhood and you would get a sense of the neighbors. And then houses changed and people got garages that they would, that they drive right into, put the garage door down, enter their house, and then they go in their backyard and they have, you know, a a fenced in backyard, a fenced in backyard. It's even called a privacy fence. It makes me sad to 
think about how the word community is thrown around so much, but in reality, what actually is community and how is community lacking? As we spend less time playing together and more time being isolated. Yeah, super interesting. And uh, you know, the, the front garden thing, I was just talking about that the other day um, with my husband. Uh, I like to walk around our neighborhood and sort of perv on everyone's plants because I'm very into gardening at the moment. So <laughs> I like to go and have a look at what everyone's growing. And yeah, I said that, I was like, wow, we spend so much time in the front garden as kids. And you know, I'd go around my nan's house and we'd be in the front garden there. And it's just not something that I, see certainly it's obviously very um, sort of cultural and location dependent but yeah it's like my kids will have no memories of <laughs> front garden or even or even street play um it's uh, again quite location specific but we've got such a nice neighborhood that kids could play out in um and they just don't and because obviously you don't see any kids you don't sort of send yours out either <laughs> and so the so the cycle sort of continues um I think that's very true I'm really eager to hear what happens to people um you gave your example of the um the guy that's going into retirement what other what what happens to people once they participate in these um sessions well I have a great story about a guy um, who um, had a little bit of a life shift. Um, he used to go to work in an office and then he came home to a wife and a young child. He got a divorce and he changed jobs. So through the divorce, he ended up living alone. And then um, the job, he was telecommuting, so he was working at home. So he was very isolated he's also an introvert so he realized after a while that he was losing his social skills and and when he he would go out it like it gave him anxiety and so he had read an article about improv and registered for the the eight-week class to just sort of get him over the hump he is lovely he just blossoms so much through the class he ended up going through all five levels of the improv school, graduating, and then performing with the troupe. That was n never something he wanted, desired, thought he could do, had any interest in. Um, but beyond his his playing with the troupe, the the best anecdote from him was when he told me he went to uh, a holiday party, and instead of being the wallflower he had he was holding court and had people uh spread out around him listening to him talk and he was you know so proud of himself for being able to not just carry on a conversation but to be bold enough to you know invite people in to have that group discussion and i was just so proud of him wow and it's almost like a part of you is just coming out like it was in there the whole time but it's just having the play tools to access it so interesting what would you say is particularly magical about the experience of playing with improv because i'm an advocate for all play and you know all people play differently and find different things but i'm always interested in like what the different play tools, as you call them, kind of bring that's slightly different. So how would you describe the particular like magic source that comes with having a go at improv? For me personally, 
it's the only, only, only space that I can be in where I'm completely in the moment. And I, I practice yoga and, you know, spend lots of time on the mat, but it's, it's nothing like that. Like on the mat, there's pressure to be in the moment. And so you have that inner dialogue with improv. You are in the moment, whether you want to be in the moment or not, because if you're not, then you let somebody down because whoever you're playing with is depending on you to be present. That's so interesting because there is such a high awareness now of meditation and mindfulness and unplugging. And I think there's a really good understanding that we need to ground and be present, but it's almost become like packaged up in this sort of self-care, have a bath, do some kind of um, meditation moment. And that's cool. Like that's awesome. And, you know, I've done, I, you know, do some of that myself, but I think what people don't necessarily understand as much is that play when you find it. And when you get into that flow is meditation, it's a sort of similar experience. And I think it's fascinating that you find it in a comedy, in something that's actually quite animated, um, something that's very much uh, sort of dynamic experience. I call improv a moving meditation. Love that. So what kind of things do you do with people? Um, I'm talking about improv here like I actually know what it is um, and that I do it all the time. Um, I, I'll, I'll answer that and I'll, I'll actually tie it in with what you were talking about with, with mindfulness and, and meditation and, and that, that piece because, you know, I always start off my classes and play shops with people spending a few minutes by themselves because I liken it to dating in order for us to be able to be with somebody or somebody's, uh, we need to be alone first. So I always have uh, everyone's <clears throat> circle up, but instead of facing the inside of the circle, I have them face the outside of the circle. So there's no chance of, you know, getting distracted by yeah. by other people and I actually have them close their eyes and um, we do a few breathing and stretching um, exercises before we turn around and start to play together then the two things that I, I I I start off with as an ensemble acknowledging each other's presence through a game and then also setting us up for the proper mindset through a, a, a game around the word yes. After doing those three things, I feel like we've taken care of ourselves. We've seen and heard each other and we're ready to say yes to the possibilities. Love that. And then I know one of the things that you do is laugh, laughter yoga. Uh -huh. <laughs> what? <laughs> An earth is that, <laughs> and how do I do it? Uh, it was, I got into it by accident. So I said the same thing when I came across a magazine in an airport and it was all about happiness and laughter. And you know, like the center spread was all about laughter yoga. And I, I laugh and I'm a traditional yoga practitioner. And I was like, what is this thing? How do I not know about it? But what happened? was how this came about. There was a medical doctor in Mumbai 
India doing a study on laughter. And in order to study laughter, you, you have to have people laughing. So he would go to the park and tell jokes every day. But because he wasn't a comedian, you know, his jokes got tired <laughs> so by about day three. So he said, please, can you just laugh for no reason? I have to study laughter. And and he posed the question, you know, what if what if the body doesn't know the difference between fake laughter and and mm. organic laughter? And so they said yes to him. And he realized that the benefits are the same, whether we're faking it or whether we're doing it for realsies. And his wife is a traditional yoga teacher. And she said, if you have people laughing heartily for an extended period of time, that's an aerobic activity and they need to breathe. And that's how laughter yoga was born through breath. So a lot of people assume that it's doing uh, yoga poses while laughing, but actually the yogic part is the breath work. Right. And so, um, so then they, they actually then created a whole program um, and it's about an hour and it has um, breathing, of course, stretching, clapping, laughing, uh, guided meditation and relaxation. That is fascinating. So, because the effects of having a good laugh, I think everyone can identify with that. It's, um, it's just natural drugs, isn't it? It just feels so good, um, particularly when you have an uncontrollable laugh. I think I always think that about, you know, I think back to childhood and you'd have those moments where you just can't breathe and you just think you don't get as many of those moments <laughs> in adulthood. They just seem to fizzle out a bit more because often those moments are sparked by play or moments of playfulness um, and, and perhaps they're just not around as much. So it's fascinating to hear that you could get the same kicks from almost like like fake laughter. That's that's amazing. The thing about fake laughter when you do it in a group is it becomes organic really fast yeah. because it's so ridiculous and then you can't help but laugh with, with each other. And, and, you know, what you're mentioning about, you know, how we don't have a lot of that as, as grownups, we don't because we choose not to. Yeah. I was just um, having this conversation. I have a three-year-old niece and um, it's fascinating to spend time with her because the play is so natural and organic. The laughter is so natural and organic because kids are just generally you know, filled yeah, with joy. Yeah, they're naturally funny. Kids are naturally funny, yeah. We, we like, we flip a, a, a switch though, right? You know, it's like at some point we get older and it's like, okay, well that phase is over and yeah. it goes dark. And all we need to do is give ourselves permission to laugh. It's good for us, but we, it's like we, we have this challenge, like, oh, go ahead, make me laugh. That's not funny. That's not funny. Go ahead, try again, try again. And it's like, we don't need someone to tell us a funny joke to laugh. We just need to, you know, do it, just do it, just do it. And it, it, it has a ripple effect to, you know, with, with anybody around us, but we have to opt in. Yeah, it's so true. And I do a lot of work with parents um, and kind of bringing more playfulness into parenting and I think quite often parents can be very um, sort of uptight about 
you know, trying to do things in a way that's sort of very perfect or right or um, having control all of the time. And when, we, when we're like that so much, we miss the opportunities for hilarity because if you do have uh, children in your life, they are, they are hilarious. <laughs> they are naturally funny. Um, and certainly, you know, the moments with my kids where we can't stop laughing are the ones where I feel like, we just leveled up our yeah, connection. I like that. We totally just leveled up. Like we didn't even have to, we just had to laugh. And the togetherness and the sense of our relationship has just, yeah, gone up a gear. You're right. You have to be willing to invite it in. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's exactly right. So I wanted to ask, because your business is called The Adventure Project. What does adventure mean to you and why do you think it's important to kind of retain a spirit of adventure in adulthood well i i have to tell you when i when i came up with that name the adventure project i was living in colorado people thought that i was gonna you know take people to the top of mountains and do all this really intense outdoor (laughs) hang off mountains I called I I would call those people thoners, you know, doing their marathon, hikeathon, bikeathon, all all the thons. And I thought, oh God, what did I do? Why did I come up with this name? But to me, that's one kind of adventure. But to me, there's so many different kinds of of adventure. And it's up to us as individuals to discover the adventure that is uniquely ours. A lot of people grew up, you know, with very um, sort of restrictive households and were told, you know, there's there's one way to have a life. You know, you finish school, you go to college, you, you get a job at a desk, you get married, you have kids. And if that is your adventure, then by all means pursue that. And then there's all these other variations of that. And so to be able to give people permission to discover what is inside of them to come out and play and to then follow that in whatever way they so choose is really nice and play unlocks that. You know, like I, I like to travel and, and I have this adventure adventure project business. And so people, sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, you're going on, on these crazy trips that I've had foot surgery on both feet <laughs> in the past few years. So I'm not climbing any mountains right now, <laughs> um, but I'll talk to anybody, you know? And so I, I was, I did a podcast with, um, with a travel guide I had in Eastern Europe. And and he's, he, you know, is this ultra runner. He's crazy and he's lovely and he's British. And I just think he's fabulous. And he knew exactly what I meant by adventure without me even telling him because his mind is open to seeing adventure in so many different ways because of travel. Yeah, I love that. Um, and it's, again, it's one of those things that uh, is is accessible to everyone in terms of a way of thinking, but we've almost categorized it as to, to be adventurous, to go on adventures. 
you have to go to the other side of the world, you have to do something where you're risking your life. Um, it has to be something really physical. You've got to have some sort of skill. You've got to train for it. And actually just the, the concept of adventure and thinking and living in an adventurous way is accessible to everyone. Um, and I think you're right in what you're saying in terms of sort of people grow up on these um, paths that they're meant to be on. And there's lots of sort of conditioning that happens um, you know, we can you know cross various different different groups of people and men and women and all sorts of, all sorts of conditioning that goes on. And to step off that, which most people do, not everyone does, and that's fine, and they carry on. But a lot of people do want to step off that. And when you do want to step off that, it's it's very scary um, for a lot of people, and a lot of people um, can't. Um, and I think that's why it's so important. Um, you know, particularly for well, for everyone, but for kids growing up now. You know the world that they're going into the the career landscape is going to be vastly different how you how you make money how you spend money how you spend your time it's it's all going to change quite rapidly and it's it the the ones that are able to retain a sense of adventure spirit of adventure um and kind of the openness to go with that will be able to take steps into more alternative ways of living that are more suited to who they are authentically it's when you're kind of stuck on this path you're you're basically not in an adventure you're just kind of on a you're on a travelator and anything sort of beyond that when you want to step off it becomes an adventure um, and i really like the thought that um, yeah, it's sort of, it, it's open for interpretation. Your adventure is is whatever you design and decide it to be. Well, I I uh, several years ago when the adventure project was sort of first being born, I went to a lot of um, summer camps for grown-ups, retreats, conferences, all, all, all unconferences. And I would meet people who were doing all these sort of cool things and having adventures. And I, and I would say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it like that person. I'm going to do it like that person. I'm going to do it like that person. And finally, at some point, I, 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 was, I woke up and I, I said to myself, I'm not that person. So why would I do that person's thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and to sort of even as I was planting the seed in my own head, I was following people that were having adventures that I thought was something that I would do, but it wasn't exactly my own. You know, so when people ask me, well, your improv curriculum, where did that come from? Like, who who's your... Who do you follow? What what school of improv do you follow? It's like my curriculum is a mix of every single teacher I've ever had in my life. Yeah, I love that. And that's that's kind of similarly where I'm at with play at the moment and um kind of my Instagram community has sort of become around the philosophy of live playfully and you know, I've sort of studied play and I'm quite well read and uh, but it is very much my own interpretation of that and sometimes 
<laughs> we get a little bit hung up on that as well, don't we? Um, well, you know, what, what, what's the qualification in this? Um, and kind of, you know, where, where did you get that from? Um, and exactly as you say, through adventure, that is life. And life can also be thinking and reading and philosophizing and having ideas. Um, you can kind of create these uh, new curriculums, as you say, these new um, ways of thinking that can be really helpful to other people. Um, I love that. I would love to ask Amy, um, I love everything that you're doing and, and would love to just sort of um, end on, I guess, if, uh, some, some tips from you if people are interested in the idea of improv, they're interested in bringing more laughter and letting go and fun and cooperative play into their life. Do you have any, you know, here's a good place to start tips that we could share. I always advise people to get on the Google, get on the Google <laughs> and find, and there's there's laughter yoga clubs in most cities around the world now. Laughter yoga is really accessible. And, it, and now because of the pandemic and everything moving into the Zoom space, there's uh, laughter yoga accessible through the, the interwebs and 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 same same with improv people need not overthink it you know like oh I don't have time for play I don't have money for play find something that fits into your world in some way whether it's your virtual world or your in-person world and just do it because it benefits you don't do it for a resume don't do it for your friend don't do like it benefits you. I had a student drop me a note the other night and she said an hour before class, she was in tears. She had had a really bad day and she took a shower, put fresh clothes on, came to class and was in completely different spirits by the end of class than she was before class. Yeah. And it is such a boost to yourself. Yeah, investment in yourself for sure. I love that. And and I imagine some people might feel a bit intimidated to attend their first class if they've not done something like it before. Would you be able to um, perhaps offer some reassurance on what happens to people when they they kind of take part and that um, I'm sure it's it's all fine and they're in safe hands? <laughs> well, it's the, the teacher, instructor, facilitator. Um, it's their job to create a safe space. And if that space isn't safe, then, you know, everybody in, in that space would suffer. But I can't emphasize enough that nobody's in it alone. Like when I went to my first laughter yoga session, um, it was only me that was doing it for the first time. Everyone was so happy to have someone new and they really, really took care of me. Everybody with that was in the space as well as the person leading it. It's a super, super warm, welcoming environment. That's mm. what laughter yoga is. And with improv, if you're going to your first class, everybody's in, in that same boat together. So mm. you have the benefit of having that wonderful shared experience. And I love seeing the difference between the first night of a level one improv class and the second night of a level one improv class. Mm. A week has gone by the students have had their shared experience together and it's like they're old friends by that second week. Yeah. You wow. know, it's like th those kind of activities, cooperative play, it accelerates trust, relationships, bonding, all those things. So, you know, you move forward together 
it's such a rich experience both individually and then as a group and you know you have each other to to fall back on i mean i've had people who've come to classes because they're getting divorced they're new to town and don't know anybody they are terrible at job interviews and they they need support around that and the supportive environment from the peers is so powerful brilliant I love it. Well, I am definitely going to put laughter on my, I have a play do list because we live from to do lists. So now I have play do lists of things that I need to play and bring into my life. So I'm definitely going to look out for laughter yoga and have a go at that. Um, you have to tell yeah. me how you feel at the end. I'll, I'll bring you up and just laugh at you. <laughs> well, Amy, thank you so much for bringing so much joyfulness um, and just loads of really interesting thoughts and bringing the idea of improv, laughter yoga, um, all the things that you're talking about, the spirit of adventure um, and making them feel so accessible and available to anyone that wants to access those those powerful play tools um has been brilliant and i know loads of people will listening will absolutely love that so thank you so much for your time and your wisdom oh you're welcome i had so much fun chatting with you emma and i feel like the playful den is like this fun little space where people can just let loose (laughs) it is it is (laughs) thanks amy oh you're welcome you're welcome Wow, fake it until you make it, Ems. Fake laughing. Yeah, there you go. So if you just do some pretend laughing, you can get the same same chemical benefits to real laughing. Do you want to try it now? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't fake. That was a real one. That's because it's so goddamn funny. Oh. It's a bit annoying that uh, the date's been rolled back, isn't it, for the old end of covid oh god i saw you on instagram going on about covid i was like jeez stay out of it i know stay just, out of it covid fatigue however um it is nice to be doing stuff again and we went to a wedding last weekend yeah wedlock yeah we went, we went up to the big city it was lovely wasn't it um i really enjoyed the speech of the little girl oh yeah 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 that there was, was good. a girl that got up um and she said when I first met Mike, I thought he was Lara's dad. Yeah. And now they're in love. <laughs> that brought the house down. That really overshadowed my speech. That was the greatest wedding speech of all time. Your speech, you put your notes onto a Weetabix box. Yeah, I printed them out and then realised this is floppy paper. That's going to blow about and be annoying. So I blue peated it and stuck it to a cereal packet. And thus your Which sp- is a joke within itself. Yeah. So it's a good icebreaker. Sponsored by Weetabix. Yes. <laughs> Which is ironic because you're always moaning about how annoying Weetabix is to clean up. I don't know why they don't build houses with it. They should. They should because it's stronger than cement. If one of those little um, yuppie lava leave their Weetabix in the bowl... In about 15 minutes, that will go as hard as rocks. Yeah, that could be a sustainable alternative. And the dishwasher won't touch it. Nope. A lot of appliance chat today. So much appliance chat. <laughs> um, do you, The kids are learning about um, sex ed at school at the moment. And I... Sex uh, ed, that was very American. Yeah, they call it PD. PD? Personal development. I mean, God, it's amazing because I know that there was a lot of hoo-ha 
on the kind of school thread, uh, people saying that they're too young. And I couldn't disagree more. But I don't know if you want to get into that. I mean, that's, that's um, is that delicate? Parents have really differing opinions on what age this is appropriate to bring in. From my point of view, you know, it's the body's a body and humans are... Oh, listen to you. A body's a body and bits a bit. <laughs> bits a bit. Um, so I, I... You know, what about letting them be kids, Ems? Let them be kids. I know, but I, I think it sort of helps to understand all your, your bits and your body. and it, Absolutely, it does. You don't want to be ashamed of your body. No. What's weirder is to not know anything. And also, I think, like, with periods and stuff, the earlier that, that you know, the more you can get <clears throat> used to it, rather than just be like, bah! Yeah, when, even when you just said it, I almost ran out. <laughs> Terrified. But um, I like how in these modern times, um, it is much more encouraged for children to use the correct anatomical names. Oh, yeah. I mean, you couldn't compare it to when I was at middle school. Yeah, there's That's no wee willy winkies. <laughs> oh, my God. What school did you go to? <laughs> It's it's not gonna learning about this stuff is not gonna suddenly make your kid an adult, and I think is that the fear that, that their innocence is gone? I think so, and just also just coping with that information, I think is perhaps where some of the concerns come from. And of course, there's lots of cultural nuances to consider in this as well. Um, but Indy was very proud of herself because she came back from school and said, I was the only person in the class that knew what a Volvo was. Yeah, and I misheard it. And I thought she said Volvo. <laughs> I thought they were talking about cars. Ems, <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the future of this podcast? Um, you got a guest lined up? For next week? Yeah, we've got we've got so many guests. How's that spreadsheet? It's busy. The spreadsheet is booming. Um also the reviews glowing. Really? Glowing. Some three, four star reviews. Five stars. Five stars. Yes. Thank you everyone for being so generous with your reviews. We really appreciate it. We've got a new feature coming up, questions for hashtag producer husband, where I will ask you questions from the listeners so you can find me on instagram at playful underscore den you can email us at let's play at playfulden.com and yeah send us in your questions you want to hear ask me anything i'm an open book an open book you did, you did a Q&A on Instagram this week. Loved it, Emma. It was your first one. I was brave. Was I brave? Uh, I guess that's brave, yeah. I had some weird ones there that I couldn't answer. So, oof. So I... A lot of like, a lot of um, clothing-based things. I was just going to say, I like your get-up today. That, I love clothes. It's sort of like a cross between Stranger Things and a burger bar. That would be a... Oh, jeez, this is my Fresh Prince top. It's gonna. It would be a sad day when you. Do you think there'll ever be a time when I won't care about what I wear, no. dress like? I hope not. No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> on on that deep note, yeah. <laughs> think about what you're wearing. Okay, Ems, take us home now. Let's now just have a have a breath and and really finish the pod strong. Okay, here we go. 
Don't forget, if you want to sign up to my Patreon, it's Playful Den. It's £5 a month. You can get loads of extra content there. Come and support the pod. We don't have a sponsor yet, but if anyone knows anyone or is interested in sponsoring this podcast, let us know. Send us your questions, feedback, give us a review, subscribe. Um, We really, really appreciate your support and stay playful. God, that was good. Thanks. Bye. Bye.